You may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 16. That's Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And as I've mentioned already, one of kind of my traditions has been to take the last Sunday of the year to prepare us for the new year, to be kind of looking back and looking ahead. Um, and so we've considered several different psalms which, which help us to, to think with gratitude, to reflect upon God's work in our lives and, and to be grateful for that. And one of the psalms that we've looked at in back four years ago, 2015, was Psalm 119. We looked at the first eight verses and sort of the, the resolution of the psalmist here to depend upon God's word, to walk uh, in a way that is worthy of his calling, to, to keep the statutes of God, to be steadfast in keeping his commandments. And so I want to return to Psalm 119 and then pick up where we left off in verses 9 through 16. This is the kind of the quintessential chapter on God's word. Uh, almost every verse refers to his word in some way using different words like statutes, laws, uh, decrees. And it's not a mistake that this is the longest chapter in the Bible. I think the psalmist motivates us to prioritize God's word in our lives. And the, the length of the psalms certainly speaks to the importance of the topic but so does the structure of the psalm. This psalm is organized in 22 acrostic sections. There's eight verses in each section. And each section includes, uh, or every verse in that section, begins with the same Hebrew letter. And, so, and, it, and it transitions from one letter of the alphabet to the next. So the first eight verses begin with Aleph. And then verses 9 through 16 begin with Bet. And you can go on, and you, if most of your Bibles probably have a header between each section. So it goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet there. And so not only does the, the, the length of the psalm speak to its importance, but also this intricate structure causes us to, to slow down, right? To, to reflect upon the words, to treasure them, to meditate upon it. He's, he's teaching us how to read his word, even as he encourages us to read God's word. Right, four, four years ago, I preached on the first eight verses, and, and a brief summary would be this. Verses one through three refer to that pursuit of joyful obedience, a pursuit of joyful obedience, and then verses four through eight are a reflection or regarding the practice of joyful obedience and and so the psalmist longs to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. He wants to prioritize God's word in his heart and walk in obedience to what it commands. And so he is resolved to pursue a life of blessing by keeping God's law. And he recognizes that as he obeys, it, it will have an impact upon him emotionally, that his joy will increase. His obedience will increase. 
And so that's what we'll be looking at in verses 9 through 16. But before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is a, a gift that keeps on giving, that we continue to grow and mature. We can, we can reflect upon the first time we really began to understand your word and the impact that that had upon our lives, the transformation that your spirit wrought in our lives through your word. And Lord, we, we long for that in an ongoing way. We ask your spirit to, to meet us here even now to come to us where we are and to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to soften our hearts that we would listen and listen in the biblical sense where it it leads to obedience and that we would honor and glorify you and that we we would give you all of the praise for doing that work which only you can do. And so Lord, Help us to listen and help us to receive this truth. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Read with me Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, my hope is that we would all seek to have a a greater longing for the Word of God in 2020. That this would be a year where we really dive deep, maybe deeper than we've ever gone in His Word. And may this psalm encourage all of us to read our Bibles more, to open it up with our families, certainly to bring it to church, uh, to, to take it home with us, to not leave it at church, but to actually open it up at home on our own and with our families, right? We will focus on on two particular benefits from this passage. And so if you're looking at your outline there, the the summary is this, how to use the sword of God's word in your fight against sin and despair. How to use the sword of God's word in your fight against sin and despair. So the first section we'll look at is verses 9 through 12, storing up God's word for purity. The verse opens, how can a young man keep his way pure? This is the longing for a life of joyful obedience that he's reflected on in the first eight verses. Now the psalmist transitions into a practical answer, providing a practical answer to a disciple's question about how he might maintain purity. Uh, If you've ever asked a question like this, you likely had some external action in mind. How can I stop doing A? Or how can I start doing B? How can I make this a habit? And oftentimes our initial reaction to these kinds of questions, our reaction is to prescribe an external form of conduct. But notice that the psalmist really focuses on 
the internal attitudes and commitments of the disciple. And if you desire to remain outwardly pure, you must consider what you are inwardly focused upon. What, what fills your mind? What is it that you're really meditating upon? What are you waking up thinking about? What are you lying down thinking about? And so this young man is seeking to keep his way pure. And the psalmist's answer follows the question and continues all the way to the end of verse 16. It's possible that this young man is, a, is kind of a hypothetical individual. It's, the psalm, psalmist is using just a pedagogical technique similar to the Proverbs, you know, where the father is speaking to his son, but it's instruction that all of us can benefit from. Uh, that, that's one way of looking at this. I actually tend to think that it's, it's more he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself as the young man who's asking this question, how can I keep my way pure? Because his answer is, is really a prayer. His answer is a reflection of his heart. Right? It's what he's longing to understand. And so it's, a, it's a, a situation that's relevant to all of us, regardless of, of whether it's a hypothetical question or his personal desire. But it just so happens that young men are under particular attack in every generation, right? At, in every age, there's, there's a time in, in a young man's life where he faces just a, a wealth of temptation, at every turn. And that doesn't mean that it's, this is only a psalm that is meant to encourage young men. Right? It's for all of us. But, it, but he's targeting the one who probably needs it the most at that point in their lives. And so I do think you should pay particular attention if you are young. And there's a, a time in your life where, where significant decisions have to be made when you're young. And, and, and it and it begins to determine the trajectory of the rest of your life. And you can make some really bad decisions um, at a young age that will determine uh, where you go for the, for the rest of your life. But that, that doesn't mean there's, there's, there's no hope for those who are older and have made those really bad decisions. Right? There's a chance to be restored and encouraged. And I think this word is for all of us in that way. The disciple here is concerned with temptation to depart in any way from the path that is laid out by God in Scripture. He's not just thinking of, you know, sexual purity, which might be the thing your mind goes to initially as you think of purity, but that's, that, uh, he's talking about a pure path, a pure way. And so anything that would take us off that path, anything that would distract us away from God's path would be in mind here. He's, he's, he's talking about all kinds of sin, any sin. So the Lord's word serves as a guard upon his way. To remain steadfast on the path of godliness, he needs to seek God with all his heart. That's the first, the following verse, verse 10. With all my heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Right? He's seeking with all his heart. And this seeking reflects a transformed will and in, uh, transformed intentions. And he, he has, he no longer desires the things he used to desire. He's not in the same degree. He's growing and maturing. He's been transformed by the Spirit. So the things that he wants now 
are oftentimes things that are pleasing to God. That's not saying he's got perfect purity. Of course not. But he is desiring, he's seeking these things because he's been transformed by the Spirit of God. And yet, even here, he also understands his dependence, right? With all my heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He recognizes he depends upon God in order for him to not wander. Let me not wander is a a prayer that implies his need for God's guidance and protection. And so apart from God's sustaining grace, every one of us would wander from his path. Calvin comments that we immediately relapse into sin the instant God leaves us to ourselves. You have got to believe that to be true. If you are left to yourselves, you are doomed. (laughs) You will immediately regress. You will immediately relapse into sin. And these are oftentimes lessons that we learn with age. Just when we think we've overcome some particular sin, temptation comes knocking and we fall again. We're prone to wander. And so with the psalmist, we must cry out for his help. Wandering away from from God's commandments is is how we wander off the path of purity. This is why the disciple must store God's word in his heart. As important as memorization is in, in fighting temptation, I, I do encourage you to memorize God's word for particular situations you face. Right? Find scriptures that relate to a particular temptation you face and, and use that. It is, it is meant to be used in that way, I believe. But that's not the only thing the psalmist has in mind here. He's not just talking about memorizing a few Bible verses and storing them in his mind through rote memorization. That would be helpful, right? But it's more than that. The heart encompasses the whole inner man. He's storing it up in his heart so that his emotions are changed, so that his will and his intentions are defined by the word of God. And so for the word to reach his heart, it must pass beyond our minds and impact the rest of us, our will and our emotions. And so, yes, memorize God's word. Just don't stop there. This speaks to the difference between reading God's word for knowledge and understanding and actually savoring God's word in worship. There's a a difference between reading it to check off a, 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 you know, to put another check mark on your Bible reading plan and actually opening it up and, and communing with God. Israel's practice of daily reciting the Shema which is recorded in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, it went well beyond reading and knowing God's instruction. Right? They were to have God's word in their hearts. It was to be with them wherever they went. It was to be dictating how they would live their lives. It was to inform the decisions they were facing and making that day. It was to fill the, con- the conversations that they had around the table with their children to inform their conversations with anyone they would meet along the way. And it was to be something that constantly was on their minds. And so the psalmist is, is thankful for the growth that he has experienced already. Verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, 
Right? He's, he's, he's reflecting now upon the ways that he himself has been brought up and trained and, and understanding God's word and law, and he's now giving him praise. Blessed are you, O Lord. And he remains, though, dependent upon the Lord. Again, let me not wander from your commandments. He reveals the, the link between gratitude and then a healthy craving for more. Gratitude and contentment in what God has done in our lives doesn't lead to passivity. It doesn't lead to a, just a kind of an emptiness or doing nothing. God feeds us through his word, and then the sweetness of the taste causes us to keep returning to his word for more so that we never become full. We always want more. It's not like Thanksgiving where we just can't stuff any more food in. No, we can keep receiving more. And so we can be satisfied and yet craving. We can be satisfied and yet have a, have a, a craving for the word where you can't get enough. In Ephesians 5, Paul speaks of Christ sanctifying us by the washing of water with the word. There's a connection there, right, between Christ sanctifying us with the word, cleansing us with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the way we are prepared for glory is through the cleansing of the word that Christ utilizes, that Christ sanctifies us with. Jesus uses the word of God to purify us and to prepare us for glory. However, the fact that Jesus does the sanctifying does not eliminate our need to open up the Bible and read. And in fact, it should motivate us to read God's word all the more, knowing that he will make it profitable. He has promised to do so. And so maybe the first thing we should ask ourselves is, is whether or not we care to be cleansed from our ongoing sin. And does your personal sin bother you enough to even ask the question posed in verse 9? How can I keep my way pure? Are you, have you ever asked that question? Are you currently asking that question? Are you concerned about your purity? If God is the source of life and salvation, including our sanctification, including our growth, then we must take heed to his instruction. And so, yes, we can learn some important things about God's character by observing creation. Uh, but it's his written revelation that guards our way. And it's the word of God that keeps us in the path of righteousness. And so the only way that you can remove the idols from your heart is by filling it with the word of God. God's word is the instrument the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen you against temptation. And it's the means by which Christ cleanses you. And so let us not become content to simply rely upon past experiences of grace. Right, let us strive for the ongoing work of God in our lives. It's, it's the, the present grace of God that sustains the past grace we've received. So we can be filled with gratitude for those past experiences and then use those to, to sustain us 
into a present experience of his grace. A continued longing for more. And so we ought to regularly seek to commune with God through his word and sincerely desire to walk according to his will. Oftentimes we, we, we complicate things. Right, we take a passage that's, that's fairly simple on the surface here and we, we go through a whole host of theological uh, concepts and, and we make it complicated, but really what the psalmist is saying here is that you must read the Bible more in order to sin less. You must read the Bible more in order to sin less. How else do you read it? How can a young man keep his way per- pure? By guarding it according to his word. If you want to remain pure, read his word. And I, I recognize that that's, might be simplified and, and a bit provocative, but I, I think it's a faithful summary of what he's trying to say here, of what he is saying. Christ has promised to cleanse us with the word, which motivates us to read it by faith. And so we anticipate God working through his word as we consume it. And so enjoy the feast. And that's, that's where he goes from, from this idea of focus on, on storing up God's word for purity. He then transitions to meditating upon God's word for joy. The psalmist transitions from his intellectual comprehension of God's word to, to his verbal and emotional apprehension of God's word. The impact that it has upon his despair. All right, so he considers the way he communicates God's word in verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. And this might be a declaration of praise to God, but I think even it's more likely to, to convey instruction and edification for others. It's the fact that he wants to declare God's word to everyone that he meets. And so God's word is on his lips so that he might regularly encourage others with it. There's a a connection between this and the delight that he experiences. Uh, He delights in the word more than he delights in riches, it says in verse 14. He savors and treasures the word of God so that it is not a boring chore to read. It's not something collecting dust, he, he enjoys reading it. And because he enjoys reading it, because he enjoys storing it up in his heart, it's not difficult for him to speak about. It's not hard for him to bring it up in conversation. He's not afraid. He's not intimidated by others. All right, he longs to share with them his own delight. And, and whenever you truly delight in something, think about whatever it is that brings a, a great joy to you. Don't you want to share it? That's, that's why Instagram and Facebook are so popular. And that's why primarily they're only filled with things that are, are, are great and happy. It's not a true reflection of all your experiences. No one's really going on there and, well, some do. Uh, but but mostly they're not going on there and talking about how this how much despair they're experiencing right now. 
but, but you want to share those joyful experiences with others. You want to talk about it. Recall the, the conversation that Jesus had with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus. It's a, about a 10-mile journey outside of Jerusalem. And in Luke 24, verse 27, it, it says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the, scripture, the, the scriptures the things concerning himself. I know we've looked at this passage before. It's, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it, it teaches us how to read God's word. That wherever we are, Old Testament, New Testament, we're, we're reading to understand Christ. We're reading about Jesus. It's pointing us to him. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As Jesus opened up the Old Testament to these two disciples, they had an emotional experience. The word went deep. And so they, they uh, we read in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. Now, there is something certainly unique about Luke 24. And they were, they were with the resurrected Lord in his presence, hearing him preach, hearing him teach the word of God. That's not always going to be our experience every time we open up God's word, that our hearts will burn within us in this way, but that should be a reflection of our longing and even be based upon the fact that we've been filled with the Spirit and that Jesus continues to work by His Spirit in our hearts, we can certainly have that every, every time we open His Word. There should be a longing for that. The power of the gospel was, was so palpable t- for these two disciples that immediately after Jesus left, which was late in the evening, they returned to Jerusalem to find the eleven. So after it's already late and dark, they walk another 10 miles. Maybe they ran, but they go 10 miles to get back to Jerusalem in order to relate their experience to the others. It's how how desperate they were to share the joy that they experienced. And so one of the reasons we, we probably don't speak as often as we should about God's word is due to our lack of reading it. If we're not reading it, then we're certainly not delighting in it. But there's another connection that the psalmist makes. Verses 14 through uh, and, and 16 both speak of his delight. In this way, your tes- or in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And then in verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So he speaks of his delight there. And then in verse 15, he speaks of his resolution to meditate upon God's precepts. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And so he, as he meditated upon God's word, fixing his eyes upon God's ways, his delight was enriched. And Charles Bridges notes, our, our rejoicing in the testimonies of God will naturally flow in an habitual meditation in them. So rejoicing leads to meditation. 
He goes on, the thoughts follow the affections. I love that. The thoughts follow the affections. They are no burden to the carnal man so far as his heart is in them. But having no spiritual taste, he has no ability for spiritual meditation. Right? That's the carnal man. The carnal man can open God's word and, and have no spiritual taste. It's, it's not sweet to him. And so there's no spiritual meditation. But for the believer, the testimonies of God will naturally flow. The delight in God's word will naturally flow into further meditation upon them. The concept of meditation is largely compromised today. Eastern practices have entered the church so that people think meditating is about emptying our minds. For many, it's been associated with a particular posture. You have to take off your shoes, sit on the floor, you know, cross your legs, put your palms up on your knees, and maybe hold your fingers in a certain way. Whatever it is, that there's a particular posture people think. It's oftentimes referred to as navel-gazing. They'll use verses like, Be still and know that I am God as a defense for prayerful yoga. That's, that's not biblical meditation. Right? Biblical meditation is not about a particular posture, nor is it about emptying our minds of all thoughts. Be still and know that I am God is about trusting in him, even when there's chaos all around you. I actually don't think it's even really specifically about meditating in that verse. But biblical meditation involves filling the mind rather than emptying it. We focus upon God's word in reflection. You might do this mentally, you might do this vocally, uh, you might close your eyes, you might write in a journal. You might do all of these things or some combination of them. Whatever it is, meditation is about engaging with God's word, not disengaging our minds. It's about filling, not emptying. And so when we delight in God's law, we desire to spend more time meditating upon it, which then feeds our delight. It's this wonderfully fulfilling cycle, right, where we experience growth and godliness and joy and then more growth and godliness and joy. And if that's your experience when you read God's word, you will not forget it. So Calvin concludes, in our natural state, what is more agreeable to us than that which is sinful? In our natural state, in the, in the state in which we're born, we're born and conceived in sin. Right? We're conceived and born in sin. In that state, what is more agreeable to us than that which is sinful? This will be the constant tendency of our minds unless the delight which we feel in the law carry us in the opposite direction. Right? You'll continue to to delight in sin until you begin until you can begin to delight in the law that is what carries you in the opposite direction according to calvin here which is a reflection upon this passage and so we ought to ought to declare with jeremiah in verse 15 and 16 of his prophecy your words were found and i ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. 
We ought to say with Paul, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. It's not just something we, sh- we show externally, but it's an internal reality. Because we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, his word has become a delight to us. And so meditate upon the Bible in order to experience more joy. I, I, I want to just conclude with, with the encouragement to, to pick up a copy of um, uh, the Bible reading plan I printed out. If, if you don't have one, this is just an, one of many options. I would encourage you to, to consider this one because it, it, it's prepared, it's written by uh, Tim Chester. Um, and it's organized in such a way that in three years, you'll read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. And so you're not, and, and it's also organized weekly. So you have anywhere from 10 to, you know, 11, 12 chapters that you read in a week. But it doesn't say what days you read, what, you know, how many chapters you get to decide. You might have more time on Monday to read three or four chapters. You might read less on, on other days of the week. You might read three or four days a week. You might read every day. But there's enough flexibility in the plan to, to allow for that. And, it's, and, I, and I like the fact that it's stretched out over three years to allow for meditation, to allow for reflection. As you're not just rushing through to get the chapters read that you need to read that day. You won't feel rushed to spend all your devotional time reading. You'll be able to reflect and pray and write if you, would, if you want to do that. And so I do encourage you to, to, to pick up a copy in the back and, and commit yourself to being absorbed in God's word for your own purity and joy in 2020. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you that you have given us this chapter to encourage us to be in your word. Lord, we, we recognize that it hasn't been available to believers in every age to simply have, have it in their pocket as they're walking around, around throughout the day. It was, it, was, it was something that they had to store in their hearts in order to meditate upon it. They were required to, to deeply reflect as they gathered together and listened to the reading of your word because the only way they were going to continue to reflect upon it throughout the week was, was as they stored it in their heart. And yet we have the Bible everywhere. We have physical copies of it. We have electronic copies of it. We can look up passages at any time throughout the day. And, and oftentimes we neglect this task of storing it up in our hearts. We may even be challenged to, to open it up and read it. Lord, help us to, to change that habit in 2020 by your grace. May all of us be resolved as the psalmist here was to keep your statutes, to meditate upon them, to not forget them. And Lord, if that's going to be true of us, then we, we We need to do more than simply read your word. We need to meditate upon it. And if if we're going to mature, if we're going to grow, if we're going to be sanctified by Christ, Lord, then it's going to require that washing with the word. 
And so when we open your word, help us to help us to recognize that you are doing a work in and through it. That we are being transformed by your grace. That there is power in your word. And it's not just a mundane, boring task. Lord, stir us up in this. Give us hope and encouragement by your word. Remove the despair and fill us with joy as we meditate upon your word. And cause us to to read your word for purity as well. Maybe there's particular sins that we're, we're, we're fighting. And maybe as we, if we fight those sins, we, we're oftentimes coming up with various external approaches to overcome it. Or maybe it's something as simple as meditating upon your word, storing it up in our hearts so that you might transform our desire so that we no longer desire that sin but that we desire more of you as you are revealed to us in your word. So, Lord, as we respond in song, as we celebrate the sacrament of communion, Lord, help us to be filled with a a resolve to serve you and to love you more and to grow in our love for your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to...